I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a now returning champion here to our Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, you may know him best as a two-time All-American while playing at the University of Texas. I know him now as the head coach of the University of the Oklahoma men's tennis team. Welcome back to the show, Coach Nick Crowell. Coach, welcome. How are you doing today? Hey. I doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it is our pleasure. And I believe you are fresh off a trip from Easter Bowl, Orange Bowl, that Florida swing. And what I've started to realize now is that those trips, as great as it is to see all of that tennis, particularly after the break we have had, it's just a big frat party for the coaches is what I've started <laughs> to learn. Well, a lot, a lot of coaches down there. Uh, it's two, week, two weeks in Florida. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of good weather. I think a lot of guys like to get down there and see the good tennis on the clay, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, we've got some big picture topics I want to get into today, and I guess we can just start right here. How difficult was that recruiting from afar just over the course of 2020, 2021 when, you know, A, it feels like there was the longest dead period in NCAA history, but B, and in a sport in tennis in particular— you know, you can watch all of the live streams in the world and everyone looks good on a live stream, but I feel like in-person recruiting in tennis is that much more important. How difficult was it to lose that aspect? Well, I was, you know, it was definitely a change for everybody. I think we had to adapt on the fly and, and get really creative um, through that process. And, and um, definitely was it definitely wasn't easy. Um, but, you know, I think 
here at Oklahoma, we did a lot of a lot of resourceful things. Our our athletic department was really helpful in creating some ideas and and getting stuff out there. And uh, you know, the transfer portal, I, I think, was a was an addition kind of at that time with the COVID years and the fifth years and everything. And and that that kind of softened the blow a little bit of not being able to get out there because you've been able to see some of those kids play play college matches and stuff like that. But yeah, it's definitely an adjustment. But I think everyone was really excited when they could get back out there in, in uh, June of this year when they opened it back up. And um, it's good to see everybody back out working hard and, and, you know, getting the boots back on the ground. Yeah, and usually I offer some sort of chaser before this hardcore of a question. But uh, to get right into it, I am curious, and I, this is one of the questions I've been asking every coach because you talk about the transfer portal. And obviously right now everything's a bit more pronounced because we have five classes of high school graduates within college tennis. And, you know, as such, those kids with that extra year of eligibility have the opportunity to float around a bit more how do you balance those two things in recruiting? Balancing, you know, building for the future, bringing in freshmen with knowing, hey, if I look on the transfer portal right now, I can go find five singles. I can go find a six singles for a one-year patch, you know. How do you balance right. those two things? You know, we're, we're always looking, uh, you know, you're looking at the long term, but you're also looking at the short term. And I think, like you said, you got to balance it. Um, we've, we've brought in one guy off the transfer portal, but he wasn't a one-year guy. He was He's actually a three-year guy. And, and uh Baptiste Anselmo uh, from from the University of Georgia has come in and done a really good job for us this year. And and uh, but yeah, it's 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 tricky. And I think there's some guys out there that they're they're still trying to decide if they're going to take their fifth years. And they're still a couple years away from that. And and which makes it a little tricky in planning uh, out the future of the program because you're kind of waiting on your guys and and to kind of see how things. Uh, pan out but we love our guys on our team the Kurt, the guys that we have right now and, and we hope they all come back yeah no absolutely I, at what point you know knowing what you know now i suppose would you go back in time if you could go to the university of texas and maybe take two more math courses and just be like oh i didn't realize i have to be an accountant as well here as a coach because i feel like managing the four and a half might actually be one of the most difficult things as a head coach it is it is you've got to be looking out into the future but then there's a lot. There's a lot more of a dynamic now with uh, how things are getting, how things are getting offered out there by by different universities. Everyone's got their own ways of doing it. The IVs are different uh, than some schools. A lot of private schools have different ways of doing it, and then you've got the public schools. So, yeah, it's 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 a little bit of where you are and and how you can manage manage your 4.5 and try to try to extend that a little bit if you can but it's tough yeah no again it's always fun and i would say the further i've gotten into this industry the more i've learned about the four and a half i'm like oh yeah it is interesting for what it's worth i'm like a 0.01 scholarship athlete so you know just you know maybe one book and like one meal and i'm good to go uh, yeah. but with yeah with that in mind you, you talk about the guys uh you have on campus and you know with that in mind let's let's talk about your 2021 season it's a year where on paper you know 11 and 15 does not sound like the most appealing season but of course you guys end up making the ncaa tournament you guys get a win in the ncaa tournament over a very good denver team before getting knocked off by texas a&m and you know i'm curious for you when you look at the season how difficult was, you know, the lack of fall and just the lack of continuity? How difficult was it to get your guys in a rhythm early on? Did you guys, was that, you know, do you feel that most pronounced at the beginning of the season, that lack of fall? Well, 
a little bit. I think getting everybody back um, on campus um, and then getting everybody back in shape and getting enough match play. We were fortunate enough here that we were able to play three events in the fall last year. Um, and it was mostly playing in the Big 12 um, against Texas Tech and, and Texas and all those schools over there. And so we, we got some good matches um, that way. And um, I thought our guys did a really good job of handling COVID. Um, we didn't very we didn't have very many guys uh, have any positive tests, so we had like one each semester basically. Um, so we were able to kind of stay out on the court and train. Um, the 2021 season, basically, when when COVID hit and they kind of changed the 500 rule, I really I really adjusted our schedule a lot last year, um, and we were really young last year as well. Because of COVID, we were playing basically five freshmen every day, um, whether in singles or doubles. And I wanted to put our put our guys and our team through basically the toughest schedule we could possibly put together. And we, you know, we had 11 losses, but seven of them were into teams in the top five. So um, and and eight of them were teams in the top seven. So we most teams probably don't play eight teams in the top seven. And, and, uh, but we, we had, we had some really good matches in there. We had a couple of them, a couple four threes where we actually had it on our racket to win. Um, and so it, those, those growing pains were tough, but I think it's going to really help our team moving into this season. You talk about the youth of the team and you mentioned a bunch of things there. I was going to hit on a, as you mentioned, the seven top five opponents. And obviously it helps when you've got TCU Baylor, Texas in your yeah. conference. And I know last year you, you played a couple of those schools a bunch of times, just because those were the matches you were able yeah. to play. Uh, but you talk about the youth on your team and, you know, again, the other care, you guys play five, four, three matches throughout the course of the year. And I'm curious, a, what is that challenge like when you're coaching five freshmen who haven't had the full fall that most of these college yeah. tennis players usually get? And B, what was the growth you saw from your team last season? I imagine, again, by the end of the year, you're beating Denver fairly comfortably 4-1 in that first yeah. round. I imagine you saw a lot of growth. Yeah, we did. Um, you know, I think at, at the beginning, our guys kind of got in there. They were a little raw, um, didn't know exactly what to expect and maybe how to handle themselves in those moments. And um, you know, there were some turning points during the year and, and some ups and downs. And there were a couple matches that we felt like we had on our racket there. And, um, but then, you know, Arizona came to town and we, and, and we had a great match against them and coming, that was coming off of a, a loss, a four, three loss to Texas and a four, three loss to Oklahoma state where both of those matches were on our racket at home. And our guys did a really good job against Arizona and taking it to them. And then, you know, kind of go, going into the Big 12 season, we started it off with a 6-1 win over Texas Tech and played really good at home. And the next two days later, we lost 5-2 to Baylor uh, in a tight match that, that you you probably had your eyes on. Um, but it, it was definitely a good match. We needed to play better doubles last year. I think that kind of hurt us a little bit. Um, and that's been, been a big emphasis at practice and what we put a lot of uh a lot of time on this fall to try to really improve that doubles point uh going in we played a good match at denver they their tough team had some good experience in in their lineup and then we actually played a darn good match against texas a&m i think everybody knows their top three were really tough up there and and uh we we took two matches off of them and just didn't play a very good doubles point that day and we had kind of some spots where we could have won 
thought we could have won that day, but you know, credit to them. They were a really tough team last year. So how does the win over Wake Forest that kickoff weekend, did that build belief for your guys just to right off the, off the bat, get a victory like that, especially as we've mentioned for a young team, what does a win like that do yeah. for a young roster? No, that, that was a big match for us. Um, we played Tennessee the weekend before on the road and you know, that was another one we kind of scheduled in there and I was like, let's just go play Tennessee on the road. And, and then we'll come back and play Wake Forest and then probably TCU or uh, I think Denver was actually at that kickoff as well. And so I knew that was going to be a tough two-week stretch. Um, but, yeah, we played a really good match. Our guys uh, really came out. I think that doubles point against Wake was huge. We, we won a tiebreaker uh, to win that doubles with two freshmen, Martinez and, and Nathan Hahn. And then um, that really got us rolling, and, and the guys closed that match out pretty nicely. So it was good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, you've, you've mentioned the doubles, and I think that's something, talking to a bunch of coaches, that last year's funky fall kind of detracted from the most. And I'm curious, looking at the stats from your guys last season, and typically there's about, you know, seven to doubles teams played throughout the course of the year. And obviously for you yeah. throughout the year, you were constantly shuffling pairings and, you know, working different guys. I'm curious is that a byproduct of searching for continuity in teams? Is that a byproduct of just trying to get everyone in the system? And, you know, you talked about well, emphasizing it this fall. What has been that emphasis? Yeah, a lot of it's finding the chemistry, um, but, but really finding the style that we want to play, but within each guy's style as well. I mean, I think everybody, you know, there's some guys that have different strengths and weaknesses. And so We've, we've got some philosophies that we really believe in, but also we got to let our guys play within their strengths. And so um, I think we've done a better job this fall of getting those guys um, in positions to be successful. And then with, with guys that they, they really mesh with, I think last year um, we kept finding one team that was winning a lot at one time, but the other two teams were struggling. And so then we would kind of make, you know, split up the one team to try to find another pairing and then we'd find another pair that was working and then but we couldn't we couldn't get all three clicking at the same time and and that's our goal this year is to find three that are clicking clicking the whole time mm -hmm. no and I'm, I'm curious again this is where i nerd out because i would, grew up with a coach and obviously i wasn't that good so it was a little bit different but it's like serve and volley serve and volley serve and volley especially yeah. in doubles get to the net do whatever possible. I'm curious, again, exploring coaches, is the serve yeah. and volley as critical in doubles as it once was back when, you know, let's say a guy by the name of Nick Crowell was winning ITA <laughs> All-American indoors and those sorts of things? Uh, or, you know, what does the double system nowadays look like? Well, you know, everybody plays it a little bit different. And I think indoor and outdoors, all it uh, plays a factor too. Uh, a little, maybe a little tougher to serve and stay back indoors especially if it's pretty fast and and so some of those little adjustments you're making uh throughout the season you might be getting a, a bigger server in there or a guy that serves and volleys um a little more comfortably indoors but then you go outdoors and it's windy and it's maybe a little bit slower conditions and you might want a guy that can stay back and rip some forehands and and get dip it at the guy's feet that maybe doesn't serve and volley that well so um yeah we're we're those are those are the kind of adjustments that we're looking to make this year going in and um the way our roster shakes out we've got some guys that can kind of do a little bit of everything and so there may be a little bit of mixing up as we go from indoor and outdoor yeah no it'll be fun to see um i'm curious again this fall has it been more about the system or about continuity for you finding pairings that work you know <laughs> a little bit of both i'd say um yeah i i think 
you know, I, I want to give a lot of credit to Luke Shields, um, my new associate head coach, Luke, Luke, like doing an unbelievable job here. And, and he's, he's brought some real fresh ideas, um, to our team and our program. And I think some of the things that he's bringing in, um, and, and just, just flying around the court having fun, making plays, getting better, finishing around the net, um, you know, the little things that are, that are going to pay off. Cause you know, it's going to come down to one or two points. And, and if we can execute those points at the end of the day, just getting the reps in the, in those situations is what we've really been trying to do. Yeah, no. And again, I'm looking overall, I think 18 and 12 this fall in doubles and yeah, healthy amount of pairings played. Uh, so good. It, yeah. It's been the experimental fall you look for, right? Yeah, we've definitely experimented this fall, switched it around quite a bit. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we just wanted to get a lot of looks. I'm, you know, we would have liked to have had a couple teams get in the, the rankings yesterday in doubles, but that wasn't really our goal. Our goal was to just play a lot and, and kind of get a look at everybody. And, and, and actually all, all of our guys did a really good job. I mean, I think we saw a lot out of all of them. So I think, I think everyone can produce. Yeah. And I, again, I want to get back to some of the guys specifically, but looking at the fall and I know you alluded to it, getting able to play last fall, some hidden duels with Texas tech and getting to go down there and you talk to, I suppose your future compatriots in the sec. And they talk about last fall, how, you know, they were able to play all these hidden duel matches and mm -hmm. by being able to play these hidden duels, you know, they just learned a lot about that. You talk to any coach, they'll be like, we knew Tennessee was going to be good right away because they were yeah. just kicking all of our derriers in these hidden duels and you know that brings up the idea of well what is the role of the fall season is the role for it to be an individual play is it allowing these guys to think above their position above their spot and just say hey, let me be the best I can be or is the point to prepare for the spring and if you're preparing for the spring why wouldn't you just play almost exclusively dual matches I'm curious uh, hidden dual matches excuse me uh, I'm curious what you view the role of the college tennis fall as yeah um, th this fall you know, I think I think every year you might have a little bit of a different theme going in and, and, and what you're using to motivate your team. But we're just building this fall. We we we're we kind of brick by brick and, and match by match day by day. And um, one of our goals was to win 100 singles matches this fall as a team. And we knew if we could do that, um, we'd have a lot of wins under our belt. A lot of guys playing good tennis, confident tennis. You know, I think we've got three or four guys with about 15 or 16 wins on the fall. Um, this fall so far. And, um, you know, I think there's a couple guy. one, one guy was injured a little bit, didn't get to play as much. And so, um, our goal was just to lay the foundation down and, um, we played a lot of college matches. We didn't play a lot of hidden duels, but we put our guys in situations, um, where they're just going to play a lot, a lot of, a lot of tennis and a lot of college guys and, and, you know, starting to mix in that pro stuff um as we continue to to grow and and build that foundation so our fall may look totally different next year but this fall was about laying the foundation that is a fantastic goal 100 singles wins i love that and you look for yeah. your guys 82 and 35 on the fall like they may not yeah. have hit that one zero zero number but that is a damn good fall you're winning 70 percent of your matches and again i want to get into all of the guys but someone i had the chance to watch in particular at the ita fall nats and someone who led your team this fall in singles victories is freshman jordan hassan and i'm yeah. curious for him again 17 and 5 in singles i don't care who you're playing that is a heck of a fall what clicked so well for him well, you know, he's pretty mature. So uh, he's a mature kid. Um, he was 21 coming in as a freshman. He's actually the oldest guy on our team. 
Um, and, and so that, that's a unique uh, dynamic, but he's very mature. He takes things in stride. I think he's, he's really bought into the laying the, found, the foundation and the groundwork. And um, he just puts his head down and goes to work every day. He doesn't, doesn't talk and say too much. Um, you know, he just listens and gets after it. He's added some pieces to his game. I think I think Luke Shields has done an unbelievable job with him in individual work, and um, we've seen a lot of growth in his game. Uh, he was a really good player coming in, but he's improved a lot, and so we're hoping that foundation uh, continues on into the spring and and into a great career. But yeah, definitely, uh, he's a great fighter. Um, you know, he just gets after. It. He's got a bit, and he's got a big game. So. Um, He's fun to watch. No, again, it feels like he's going to slide into that lineup really, really well. And obviously, you talk about it being a young team last year. Well, a bunch of guys got to take a bunch of different lumps, right, and get a ton of match experience throughout the course of the year. And one guy I want to talk about who it felt like just got better and better as the season progressed was Mason Byler. Who yeah. obviously, you know, he was a highly touted recruit coming into your program, and people uh, have had expectations is the wrong word, but people have always expected him, you know, to accomplish some success. And you look for him last year, finishes the year seventeen and fourteen overall in singles, and you know, by the end of the season, you know, gets wins over Matias Soto, and you know, is playing some extraordinarily tennis, uh, extraordinarily good tennis. Now, you look prior to his, you know, in his freshman season, it's not as though he didn't have success, fifteen and six as well, but playing a little lower in the lineup yeah what jump did he make last year and you know again how does taking some lumps in the prior season help you this year where look if you're on paper right now number one single spot is very much up for grabs and it feels like he could go season yeah you know uh mason's just he's a little bit like jordan in a way they just get in here and get to work every day um very quiet um but confident confident person um he's really bought into just uh, even as a freshman getting in doing a lot of individuals and improving his game work putting things uh improvement on the little things that he needs to do as he goes he's a confident he's a confident kid he's not uh super loud um in the locker room he, but he he listens he's coachable but then you know if you see uh at the end of the year he went three and two in the big 12 um had some big wins he was actually uh, up on a cup up in a couple of matches that didn't get to finish um so he's he's establishing establishing himself um as one of the top players in college he made the quarterfinals of the all-american and the quarterfinals of the fall championships finishing in the top eight of those two national tournaments you know he, he he's starting he got the preseason ranking 31 yesterday i think it probably should have been a little higher if you make if you make the quarterfinals of both nationals i don't so but you know he he'll take it in stride and that'll motivate him so mm -hmm. i feel like and i say this respectfully and lovingly there's a little fu edge to him like it does feel like he's got i don't want to say chip on the shoulder because that's a little too you know uh cliche but yeah. it just does feel like he especially because i was watching that Holmgren match and yeah. it did feel like especially at the start of the second set he was like no 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 like we're not doing this serve forehand thing anymore this yeah. it's my i'm breaking up your rhythm we're playing on my terms from here on in and i feel like that quality you just have to have to play number one yeah he, he's not he's not afraid of anybody um he's been playing future since he was like 15 years old you know he traveled around and you know he's a big time player and and uh you know, a great example is back in uh, when we went to the round of 16 and, and we took out Texas A&M on their courts in the round of 32. He was seven match points down 
uh, in that final dual match, uh, final match, seven dual match points down to, to Noah Schachter. And he never blinked. You know, he kept hitting winners on match points down. And I think that's the thing about Mason. He's not afraid to go for his shots, but he's also not afraid to mix up his game. And, and he also did the same thing in that second round match at the fall championships against Ieni. He got beat 6-1 or 6-2 in the first and then kind of totally changed up his game, played on his terms. And, um, you know, Mason holds himself really accountable on the court. You know, he, he's, he's hard on himself, um, but he expects himself to do, to do good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, you talk about the youth on your team. It feels like he's one of those few guys who has been around the block and actually played a full season of college tennis before. And, you know, that's actually what, in my opinion, makes looking at your roster so fascinating is, yeah, there's a bunch of sophomores and a bunch of juniors, but, like, collectively those guys have played maybe one full season. And that's it's right. just Yeah, and so it feels like, again, there's a lot of upside still to tap into, and I think a guy who did that really well and i'm gonna butcher his last name pronunciation here uh so i'm just gonna call him justin uh you know you look at the jump justin made here and you know for him last season i believe you know by the end was playing five six singles and 12 and 12 overall in singles but you look at you know you're talking about the big fall 16 and three this fall and i'm curious again I know this is really simple, and this may be a stupid question, but a jump like that, is that just like, hey, Justin, you've now played six months of college tennis. Like, is, he, is there just a comfort level for guys like him and, you know, again, Mark and all yeah. these guys who didn't really get a full fall before that allows them to make a jump like this? Yeah, you know, all those guys came in um, the, during the COVID year, and, and, and some of them even came in in January. So they got two months that first year, and then last year, it was a COVID fall. It wasn't a, a real fall. And then, you know, they're thrown into the season. So I think, you know, you're looking at Justin, this is his real first year um, getting the full program. And, and, you know, I think he's really adjusted. Well, um, he's got a, he's got a real big game. I, I think his confidence is going up and he's understanding what he needs to do in his game. And, um, you know, I think people know, people know from his junior career, how good of a player he is. And, you know, I think he's blossoming now um, here in his second, third, whatever you want to call it, year. So Yeah. No, and again, it's not just guys like him, you know, Nathan Hahn, Alex Martinez, mm-hmm. all these guys down the roster, and we've talked about it a little bit. But, again, when you look at this team that, you know, not not many players left from that 2019 Sweet 16 yeah. appearance. And, you know, last year an 11-15 result for them. What's the? I mean, how hungry is this group? How ready is this group to make a jump in a in a Big Twelve conference? Obviously, this year that look TCU, Baylor, Texas, yeah. they're not going anywhere. And Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, they continue to get better as well. Uh, where is this group as we turn the page towards January? Well, I can tell you, our young guys last year they were not happy how we ended. Okay, and so they came back on a mission. They're on a mission. Um, these guys are extremely motivated. Um, and, and they know we can do better. And so I think that's the thing, like they're just building the foundation and they, they want to get out there and prove how good they are. And these guys, these guys are all winners and, and, and they want to win at the highest level. And so coming off that, that 11 and 15 did not sit well with these guys. And so I think they're, they're motivated and, and we're hungry. Mm-hmm. No, I love to hear it. Well, again, I'll, I'll get back to the guys. But I want to ask some big picture questions yeah. here now. And yeah. obviously I look at the record 11, 15, under a normal season, you're not getting into the NCAA tournament. 
because yeah. obviously the 500 rules in place and for fans that don't know you have to be 500 or better to qualify for the NCAA tournament now they waived that last year and as such as we've talked about you're able to play this really really fun schedule you're able to get yeah. your guys a bunch of good matches to the point where you know again they I don't think anyone was surprised to see you beat Denver like make an NCAA round of 32 would you be fine with the 500 rule going away forever well, I think it. I think it gives you some creativity with what you can do in your schedule, and I think it it may, it may help the guys develop long term um, in terms of playing those teams, and and that's the way we looked at it last year. Um, you know, if 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 two mat if two matches go our way, we've got a winning record, so uh, we're thir- we'd be thirteen twelve. So you know, I think it, it's a matter of two matches going our way, and that season looks a little bit different. We're probably fourteen or fifteen in the country and a winning record, so. Um, you know, we, we had Texas on the ropes when they were two in the country up, up three, one and, and didn't get it done. So, you know, I think we're kind of right there, but, um, in terms of the 500, you know, I understand, I understand why they have it, but also I think it would create some creativity and, and maybe could help the guys develop long-term a little bit better because, you know, you got to make sure you making the tournament. And so, you know, you got to schedule a few other matches in there and, and, but those matches are also good. I, I think it gives everybody an opportunity to play on the team and get confidence going early in the season. And then uh, you hope you can carry that through. Mm-hmm. It's, it is fascinating. It does feel like there's a bit of a power five slant, like no doubt if, if you're a power five school and, or a big 12 school. And I'm, I am curious knowing there's six teams in the big 12. All yeah. of them are usually in the top 30. What sort of pressure does that put on you from a scheduling standpoint? Well, in the Big 12, you know, that that means you're guaranteed five matches in the top 30. Um, but, it, but it also means that we've got to schedule 16 or 17 different dates where, you know, if you're in the SEC, you might only be scheduling six or seven more matches when you throw in the kickoff. Um, so we've got to kind of put together a schedule that's that's challenging. You know, we want to have a lot of home matches. Um, like this year, we've got 15 matches at home. Um, so our schedule is going to set up, set up nicely, um, that way. And, and so we don't have too many road trips. We do play Arizona and Arizona state on the road this year. And, um, you know, we'll have the kickoff at Ole Miss and that's going to be, we know that's going to be a fun kickoff with Ole Miss, Illinois, and NC state. So, you know, I think there's some real fun road trips in there. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's, with the schedule in the Big 12, you know those those five are going to be tough, real tough matches, and you know you hope to you hope to go five and zero there. But it, but if you don't and you, you grab a couple wins, you know you're going to be ranked pretty high. Yeah, no, it's again. By the way, good scheduling. A weekend trip to Arizona, like there are worse <laughs> ways to live life. That's 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 well done. Um, but no, it, it's so interesting to hear. And you know, again, I've heard you talk about laying the foundation. I've heard you talk about development. You bring up the 17 extra dates you have to fill. Uh, obviously, with the conference, I know that's a little additional pressure, but I, I am curious, given the modern demands of tennis, right? And at one point this season, there were 11 players with college ties in the ATP Top 100 yeah. of singles. And obviously, what Jen Brady's done of late, Danielle Collins have done of late, we know uh, that college offers a successful pathway to the pros. With that said, you know, right now, I'm sure you're in the eight-hour rule portion or yeah. right near it and the 25 competitive dates. Is that enough? Does that reflect the modern demands needed in professional tennis? Or is it time to re-examine those things? Well, you know, I think the eight-hour window's tough. I think it's tough on our guys. It's tough on us. When you have to turn guys down to practice, it's always a hard thing. That, to um, me, is the dumbest part of it. Like, if a player, and I'm curious, has this happened to you, where a player comes up to you and says, Coach, 
I'm, I'm struggling a little bit on my forehand. Like, do you mind working with me for an hour? And you have to say, look, like, I can't. And to me, if you ever yeah. had, that's absurd. Absolutely. We've had to turn them down yeah, and, and, and we've kind of had to say, you know, they'll say, Hey, can, can we practice this week? And it's like, Hey guys, it's dead week. And, or it's eight hour or eight hour week. We've already done our four hours on the court and, and, you know, you guys, you can go work on your forehand, but you need to go with one of the guys on the team or something like that. So um, we can't, we can't be there and watch it, but no, I, I think, I think there's a, there may be some adjustment. I, I understand what the NCAA is trying to do and, trying to protect the athletes and, and make sure everybody's the, the student welfare. So I understand that side, but I think there are players that want more. And when players want more, it's hard to, it's hard to turn them down, but, but we have to. And then, you know, on the 25 dates, it'd be nice to have some more dates. I think, um, you know, we're a little limited um, in what, in what we can do sometimes in the fall. And there's some guys that want to play a few more futures you know, maybe later into the fall and stuff like that. So we got to be, you got to be creative. Sometimes guys have to go and play on their own a little bit and it, but it'd be nice to be able to send one coach and, and kind of help them out. What this, you know, you talk about those pro events this fall, it felt like whether it was, you know, you guys or Lubbock or just all these different locations, uh, Ithaca and across the country, it felt like college campuses were hosting more pro events than they were before. How essential is that experience to just get your guys out in front of the pros, get them playing in your development? And in particular, if you're trying to build a program like you guys are, where it's sweet 16s quarterfinals year in, year out. Well, I think it's really, I think it's really important. And, you know, this, this fall, uh, we took a slight different turn, um, but we'll be back on that schedule. And, and in the past, we've been playing a lot of futures, hosting futures and and we're planning on hosting two more uh coming up one in the summer and one next fall and and so we're going to continue that track um but yeah I, th I think it is important and these guys that that really want to play pro tennis i think it's important that they're doing that and, and getting those looks and getting some atp points and then that helps them in the summer get into some tournaments so um i think that's the key the key is getting these guys playing a lot in the summer too i think a lot of that you know, if guys are playing in the summer, they come back and have great falls. So, yeah. Well, no, this is perfect. This opens Pandora's box. And I was talking with South Carolina head coach Josh Goffey, and, you know, he was talking about the developmental side of college tennis and obviously the broader picture of is college tennis of how, how do we make college tennis the most viable pathway to the pros out there, you know, the best version of itself. And he got funky with me. He said, you know, the one thing he – emphasizes that there's not really a training block period for these college players for you coaches to just say hey don't worry about the match results the next two months the next two and a half months three months whatever we're just focusing on making you a better player and he yeah. actually talked about a reimagination of this schedule where you play the team in the fall and that's when you, you do all that and then all of your individual stuff is moved to the spring and i'm just you know we can get back to that thought in a second yeah. but you know, how much do you emphasize, again, the development side? And do you feel like the college tennis season provides enough opportunity for you to, again, can get the amount of developmental work needed for these players who do have pro aspirations down in Oklahoma? Yeah, it's tough. I think it's uh, the schedule doesn't always line up properly, I would say, um, with the way um, you have your eight-hour window uh, at the end of the fall, and then that leads into like the dead period, and then and then the the finals week, and then two weeks at home. So you basically your six weeks prior to the season, 
you might only see your guys 20% of the time. Um, and so that, that, that part right there probably doesn't line up properly. Um, and, but it's been that way for a long time. So I could actually see that part. If we could somehow change that up a little bit, I think that'd be good heading into the season. Cause if you look at it, a lot of teams come back in the beginning of January and maybe they get a guy dinged up right away. Guy comes back from the Christmas break. Maybe he's not a hundred percent ready to go, but then they're playing a couple matches and then the kickoff and then you've got some guys injured. And so I think getting those guys, giving those guys a little bit more time um, either in December to keep working um, late November um, and then maybe the season's backed up maybe a week or two just to give our guys a little bit more time. But no, I think, I think Josh has a good, a good point there. And, and uh, there could be a little bit of structure change. Um, The one thing I think for the development in college tennis is we need to get, we need to get all the great college tennis players to play the same events. Okay. Exactly. So with that in mind, how do you get college players to buy into the fall? Because you look, there's a point where I don't remember if it was Ithaca or Little Rock, but I think it was Little Rock had five ITA top 10 players and the ITA fall Nats had none. And I'm not trying yeah. to take away from what August Holmgren did. I'm not trying to take away from what Arthur Ferry did, because I think you could argue they are top 10 college players. But like, that is a problem for college tennis. I agree. I, agree. I, I think we have one of the best products out there and and the players like if you look at it if if you had all of the great players playing four or five events all of them we would our system would be better than than the futures and would be equivalent to playing a lot of challengers in the u.s or you know if you look at the challengers a lot of the american guy or the college guys are doing well and so uh we've got to get we've got to get everyone on board to play in our own ita events um but how you do that you know, I think that's the $24,000 question is how to get all those guys in, into one place. Um, but maybe maybe it's wild cards into bigger events that maybe are, that are in the summer um, or, or not in the spring because that's the dual match season. But, yeah, maybe if you're winning the fall championships, there's something linked to that. And if you're winning the All-American, because I'm not sure there's any wild cards tied to either one of those tournaments right now. Yeah, I agree. I think there has to be some sort of carrot there at the end of the stick. And again, it's very easy to speak these things out loud, a lot more difficult to make them actually happen. But Coach Shackerly over at Pepperdine came on the show and was at it. He talks about the college golf rankings and how there's a yeah. top 10 in college golf and those 10 guys and girls get opportunities on the pro circuit that, yeah. quite frankly, again, that tie-in just feels like it's money for college tennis like it would be perfect to do something like that the problem in tennis being you know you're not just negotiating with atp it's french tennis federation australian tennis federation all of these different burdens as well that said i'm trying to get this going get trained behind this momentum and we've done like 40 interviews coach first time this idea has come up so it's a it's a premiere here on our crack racket shows but this idea Let's do a fluid top five throughout the course of the year. Let's incorporate UTRs. Let's incorporate pro results, not just the college results. And wouldn't you just love to see, you know, top five players, you get three challenger wild cards, you're playing the world team tennis season, like congratulations, you get the bid to that. It feels like those synergies could exist in tennis with a bit more work. Oh, definitely. I think they could. And I think that, I think that ranking coming out, um, in, in August. And then, you know, once again, in December, I think that kind of hurts us. I think we need to have a ranking, you know, after the first two weeks, another one after the all American, another one after the, the regionals and another one after the kickoff, 
um, because you know that that actually is important to guys, and and that would make them want to play. Um, but when you're preseason and you're and you're five, and then uh, you see your name as five all fall, um, you, you feel okay. But then, you know, when they when they're out of the rankings or they're 85 in the country, and then now they're motivated again. So, you know, I, I think we got to keep revolving that ranking every couple weeks. And um, to me, that makes guys want to get in there and play. So. Um, I think that's a great idea, but yeah, tying it, tying it to these, to a tour, uh, like the golf, I think it's the best thing golf has done. I mean, and people are into seeing it. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, again, I, it, it's very fun to say, would you be fine? Because you talk about the accuracy of the rankings and obviously last year through no fault of the ITA, uh, there just was not a big data sample because it was hard, you know, Big Ten's not playing anyone outside of the conference, and that kind of screws up everything, particularly when Ohio State doesn't make the national indoors. Now there's only one yeah. Big Ten team, and no, this Michigan fan didn't think about that all offseason, I promise, Coach. But, <laughs> you know, when you talk about the accuracy of the rankings, particularly as it relates to individuals, would you be fine if they incorporated some pro results, UTR, into that formula, or should it be strictly college? Well, I— I'm I'm more of a I think it should be a, strictly on the college results uh, because it's the college results are different than the pro. You've got a coach on the court, um, you know it's a different it's a totally different environment. The scoring's different. It's no ad compared to ad. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons to to just keep those two separate. Um, but I think guys I think guys need to kind of I think you can do both. But also I think our college players need to keep keep committing to play in our our sport. So. Yeah. No, it, it, it's fair. It's fair to say, and you do, again, wonder if there are carrots at the end, challenger wild cards, whatever it may be. Do all these top guys come back and play the fall the results? That's one question to ask. The other is, and I know it gets talked about every season, should it be time to move the NCAA individual tournament? Should it be, again, to get back to a thought I touched on earlier, an individual fall season and then a team season over in the spring? Where does Coach Crowell sit on that issue? Because obviously oh. it's a hot one. Yeah, it's a hot, it's kind of a hot topic, I think. Um, well, I, I, I'm, you know, in a way, I'm a traditionalist. That way, I like having the, I like having the individuals at the end of the season. I think it gives everybody a chance to make the tournament. Um, you know, you get a whole nine months worth of, of results in, uh, opposed to maybe like five or six tournaments maybe in the fall. Um, you know, and and you know, I understand by maybe having the NCAs at the end of the fall, it might that might make other guys make some of those guys play the fall events. I, I, I get that, but I think having that energy at the end of the year is big and uh, with crowds and all that kind of thing, I think, you know, I think it helps our team event by having all the individuals out there. And I think that that events the way it is the way for a long time. And I think it's been successful that way, but I know there's other people on the other side of the fence too. Yeah. It's just, again, Thankfully, no income tax in Florida, right? Because by the end of that month in Orlando, we're all paying it. And it's just like you are – that is a slog. And it just feels like, again, from a a marketing standpoint, which does matter because you want to grow the game. You want to – again, are people going to retain their – can you retain their attention for two consecutive weeks? For me, I know it's a pipe dream. I know the idea of getting schools to sponsor a player to come back and do this would be impossible. But it just feels like the NCAA individual tournament – belongs at the second week of the u.s open and i know they've done the u.s collegiate events in the past but i just again 
I know there's there's something too. Well, marketing our the properties that already exist within College Tennis Better is half the battle. But the idea of giving a showcase to the best of the best in College Tennis in New York, like I, yeah. I don't, I just think if we're not changing it for the sake of keeping things as is, that's stupid. Yeah. Well, I I think I think you your idea of having it at the U.S. Open that would create unbelievable energy vibe. Um, you know, I I love what you guys are doing with your your podcasts and. And with putting, you know, the commentary on a lot of the dual matches and what you did at the kick, at the fall championships. And, you know, I think we need more of that, too. Yeah, the I, little I think, things, sure. Yeah, the little, the little things to keep promoting the sport and, and making these, same thing, these college events just seem and feel bigger to these better players. And I think that's what's going to get these guys to play. I mean, I think these guys need to feel like, man, okay, there's a wild card to a 250. Um, there, there's, you know, I'm going to play the finals in front of a thousand people. Um, and we're going to be on tennis channel. I think if those things were happening, I think we'd get a lot more, a lot more guys coming on. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And with all of that said, again, now it's time to get particularly funky. Let's talk format. You're so, I want to say when you were playing, not to date you here, but it wasn't two out of three sets in the doubles, right? Or at that point, was it still two out of three in the in the dual match doubles? No, it, it was eight. It was eight pointer. Yeah. yeah, and so, but obviously, you're playing ad scoring. We're now in yeah. no ad. Mm-hmm. How ad, you know you've gotten to see both sides of the equation? Have you yeah. transitioned successfully yourself to no ad? What do you think yeah. about the format? You know, I think it was a little bit of a change at first, but um, I, I love the no ad format. You know, I know there's some guys that don't, but. Um, I, I think it creates a lot more excitement uh, in those matches. The doubles to six, it's it's a shotgun. You know, you get you better start fast and you better get out there quick. And you know, I think we've got to keep we got to keep those that energy in the doubles rolling into the singles too. So I think people having the no ad I think is important because you got big points going on. You know, on on all six courts, every every two three minutes, there's a no ad point, and and that creates some good some good energy. Um, you know, we've done a good job here at Oklahoma. We put nine matches on Fox Sports last year. Yeah. I don't know if you've been able to catch any of those broadcasts. Oh, you please, you know, that's my bread and butter. <laughs> well, you know, and and I think you know the no ad scoring for those broadcasts is helpful too because. You know they can flip over to the big points and hey we've got a deuce point over here with with Byler and then you know they're moving over to Han and then Martinez and and I think for TV it it creates a lot of energy that way and but we got to get more we got to get more matches on TV and have more guys like you out there pumping us up. Thank you. Well, let's be clear, not too many more. I'm fine with the monopoly. Like just well, you, to yeah, yeah, you know they can volunteer their time if you've got money to be paid. You guys know where to find yeah. me. <laughs> or, or maybe, or maybe they're paying they're paying you to do it. So yeah, exactly. That sounds like a win to me. But you no, know, again, you talk about that format in mind, and obviously the excitement of the doubles point, and I could not echo that sentiment more. I think the forty minutes double of a doubles point in college is the most exciting forty minutes in all of college tennis, and I don't care Wimbledon final, Djokovic Federer. I don't care Serena versus whomever. I just. Trust me, the rat race, the Russian roulette aspect, just the fact it's three matches in front of you, but you can follow everything. Every point matters. That energy, I think having that at the start of a college tennis match is just so contagious. And I think it's so, you know, again, if you're trying to pull fans in, I I refer to this study all the time, but the NCAA did a study on non-revenue sports and the highest retention rate amongst athletes belongs to tennis. And it's the key is once you can get them in the door, they'll come back. But how do you get them in the door 
My problem is, I guess, for some people, it's just that, well, I'll just say, like, again, that first hour of singles and that 10-minute break in, or five-minute break in between doubles and singles, like, you lose steam. And, you yeah. know, the smart coaches like yourself, you're feeding us pizza, you're getting us Oklahoma barbecue, doing all these things to keep our attention in the meantime. At the same point, it's just, like, again, it, it gets a little frustrating where – I, I feel like there's a law there from a TV product standpoint. I feel like there's a law there from a fan standpoint. Do you feel, feel that law on court? Do you think that is a problem for the product? You know, uh, that's a good that's a good question. I know there's been talk of, you know, maybe a 4-1 format with four singles, maybe one doubles, um, maybe some other formats too. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a big question. I think – for me, I kind of like having the five the five minutes to gather our team and and whether it be uh, keep the momentum going or 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 try to um, reestablish some momentum going into the singles. I think it's a little bit of a timeout um, one way or the other. Um, but no, I, I totally get your point on keeping it going and and not losing the fan interaction uh, in in there. But I, you know, I, I kind of like having the the break there, but. But I, I totally get it from a fan side too, where you know it'd be nice to just let it go, and it's a two-hour straight, and you don't have to wait. And uh, you know, I think there you got to have some good activity going on in that break time. So, and and if you don't have that, some you know, I think one of the big things we've got to do as a as a sport is keep pushing to get more students out to match this, like the 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 you know the the fans of or sorry the student body getting the student body out is huge because those guys bring a lot of energy and, you know, you go to some places that have a lot of students out and those guys are, those guys are cheering hard. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it here with our basketball team at Oklahoma, We've got a new coach in and he's got a lot of student body coming out and it's creating a lot of energy and vibe behind the program. So mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to work hard to do that. If you want a trick, go to the club tennis team. I mean, yeah. Coach Steinberg didn't realize it, but his best investment ever was sending their volunteer coach to our practices because it was just like, all right, we're kind of come down. You know what's the perfect pregame on a Friday night? Let's go to the tennis match first. Let's yeah. get really, really loud during the doubles, see if Ty Tucker will swear at one of us, and yeah. then we'll go out, and we'll go do whatever. And it's just, yeah, I, I, I love that thought process because I yeah. do think, again, like, that's how I fell in love with college tennis. That's how I think you get the students to buy in. It makes everything that much more special. Now, you brought up the 4-1, the simultaneous start. I I do have some I, some draw to that, and I want to get to it in a second. But what about just the basic switch? You switch singles and doubles. So you're playing the singles first, and obviously if it's clinched at that point, you don't need to play doubles. But if you make every doubles flight worth one point, the yeah. idea of a 40-minute Russian roulette rat race to decide a dual match, it might kill yeah. all of you coaches, but boy, <laughs> from a fan perspective, that sounds fun. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty fun if uh, the three doubles matches were kind of deciding it there at the end. So, um, you know, e each point counts, and you, you, you would feel like you're still in the match even if you're down 4-2 after singles. So I, I think it'd create a pretty, pretty interesting vibe there. Um, fan fans would probably – be inclined to stick around um you know they're like okay we're down we're down or we're up but you know we gotta we gotta stay now <laughs> yeah exactly the other thing that simultaneous start so why i like it so much a again you're playing everything at once there is no pause but b it opens up the door a little bit 
for things like substitutions. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, obviously, they do that in world team tennis. Is that something that would appeal? So here's the scenario. It's, you know, it's, yeah, we'll lay it out. You know, your two doubles guys or your doubles flight, they play. They're now eligible to come into a singles match. But even more so, five, four, and a third. You've got a six, 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 seven behemoth on your roster. You get the Oklahoma scoreboard going. Get the, you know, the lights circulating. Let's bring in the closer. And you bring him in. He serves it out. Like, I mean, those are the aspects that tennis doesn't get because it's an individual sport. And I, I do think... That could be a fun dynamic. Like, I, it's a fun dynamic that doesn't completely compromise the sport. Yeah, you, you, you're making the call uh, as a coach. You're, you're signaling over. Get the, get the closer warmed up, and yeah. you see, and and you've got the guy. He's six seven, warming up on court six, and he's hitting, he's hitting down there. And the other coach is wondering. Okay, I wonder if this guy's coming in or not. You could, you could almost do do a little decoy that way. Um, you know, maybe you tell your guy on the court, look, you got one more, you got one more game. Uh, let's get this last game. We're bringing in so-and-so to close it out. And then that kind of motivates that guy. Okay. I got to get him. I got to get him. I got to hold here or I got to break so he can close it out. Um, but yeah, I think (laughs) that would definitely create an excitement and something that would be new to our, new to our sport. I don't know how our, I don't know how, you know, guys would have to have thick skin. Hey, I'm, I'm pulling you out here. Uh, I'm bringing in so-and-so to finish this deal out. But, you know, I, th- I think – I don't know if that one would ever happen, but I do think it creates some some uh, some excitement. But, uh, yeah. yeah. What I've learned is that for college coaches, there's always a plurality of people who want something to happen, never a majority. You're never yeah. going to hit the 50% number. Yeah. And yeah. so that's half the fun. But one thing <clears> – <throat> excuse me, if I think any rule change I suggest in this Power 5 interviews that might come about – and this is one for you as well. I'm curious how, what you think. One 90-second timeout for every coach throughout the course of a match. We don't have timeouts in tennis. But as we know, there are those 25-minute stretches where you're just like, oh, man. Like, yeah. I, that was a terrible mid-double speech, clearly, that I gave my team. Every, we're down 4-1 everywhere. Yeah. Would you be in favor? One timeout, 90 seconds, all the guys think to come in. You could say, here's my piece. Let's go. Yeah, I, I think it'd be fun. I, I do. I think it'd be something that would create a new dynamic. Um, you, you could you you bring your guys in off off the bench. You got your whole huddle there. You see the football. You see the football coaches do that during a timeout. Sometimes they'll bring the whole team over and and talk to them. Sometimes they're just talking to the quarterback and and the offense. But no, I, I a little bit of a regroup sometimes is fun. We get to do that in between the singles and the doubles a little bit and. You know, sometimes guys are taking their time out a little bit in between sets. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I think during that time, you know, that five minutes is probably too long. 90 seconds would be would be probably adequate, would probably be where it doesn't break the momentum of the match too much. Yeah, that would be, again, my thing is we'll give you a timeout, but we're done with the bathroom shenanigans. Like, yeah. if you're going to the bathroom, get your business done quick. Let's get back on court. Let's play. We're not messing around anymore. Your coach will call his timeout when he needs it because I agree there's just a lot of Michigas in the extra times. The last rule change I have for you here uh, down the home stretch, lawless lineups. So I agree. Home crowds are everything in college tennis. And I think a home crowd in college tennis, is, you know, I've been to the big house in Ann Arbor. I'm sure it's similar in Oklahoma. As great as it is to have 100,000 plus people, 60,000 plus people screaming down at you Four perfectly placed tennis fans can do more damage than 100,000 football fans. And yeah. so the way I think you get those you know, fans to keep coming back, let's just let the home team win a lot. 
Let's go lawless lineups throughout the course of the year. So away team submits the lineup, home team matches up however they want. Would you be in favor? Man, that that would that would create some more excitement, man. You got <laughs> a lot of good ideas here. Thank you. This is what I again. Do I need a girlfriend? Yes, but this is what <laughs> I do in my free time now. Oh man, I I think uh, man, I hadn't thought of that one before, but um, that would definitely be fun for the coaches, yeah. uh, the home coach. Especially. You're all playing around anyways, right? Well, and I and I think what would happen too, your your visiting coaches would play around with their lineup too. You know, uh, they would you know they would probably become lawless too. Yeah. Uh, so then then the numbers actually don't really the one through six probably don't really matter that much. You're just you're just looking at matchups. So you're like, I like this guy against this guy, and I think we can get four this way and. Uh, I think it, that'd be that'd be something that would be definitely fun to fun to see. I don't know if I'm for it, but I think it definitely I think it'd be fun to see that happen. I love it. Well, last three questions for you. A, you mentioned it earlier. You bring in Luke Shields, who comes yeah. over from Fresno State, and obviously Fresno State, the pipeline of former great coaches who have coached there, just you know, check mark, check mark, check mark. Um, yeah. Obviously, not the circumstance you want to bring in someone like him, but to have him on campus, that wealth of experience, uh, how helpful has that been for you this fall? And obviously, what led to that choice? Yeah, unbelievable um, guy uh, as a person, but and as a coach, I've known Luke for a long time. Uh, about 20 years ago, we played we played a future together. He was about 17, I was like 23, and. Uh, we made it to the final. He was still in juniors. And so we've kind of kept a good relationship since then. And um, he's always been a really good friend of mine and, and close, um, uh, you know, co co uh, work, not co-worker, but just co-coach out there. And, um, you know, Nick Papik did a really good job here for three years and, and really appreciate all his work and service here. But, you know, when, when Nick, when Nick stepped down and, and resigned, um, Luke was my first. Luke was my first choice. Luke was my first call back in back in late May, and and uh, at that time, you know, I think he was kind of just getting out of Fresno and wasn't really ready to maybe make that decision. Um, and and so uh, after kind of a long summer, um, you know, Luke and I kept talking and and went out to California for a few days, hung out with him, and then he decided to come on board and can be more happy. So yeah, he he's our guys have really uh bought into luke a lot and he's brought a lot of fun things to our team and he's such a competitor i think he's really helped our guys compete at a higher level not only in tennis but just in life yeah better looking shields brother luke or clancy mm, that's, they're that's pretty tall. similar looking guy. like those are yeah. two brothers who look alike it, it well it'd be easy if you it, you'd, if you asked luke he would tell you so <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd probably be pretty adamant about that, but yeah, uh, that's good. You know, and, but I'm, I'm really good friends with both of those guys and, and known them a long time. So yeah, it's good. It's good being around Luke and, and kind of even talking with Clancy a little bit more. Yeah. I will remember that battle of the shields when you guys play Arizona later this season, yeah. I'm, I'm going to remember to brand it as such, but you know, you mentioned it earlier kickoff weekend for you. You're headed down to Oxford. It's Ole Miss, it's Illinois, it's NC state. It's yourself. That is a loaded region of play, and I know we've talked about it here, but as you look through the schedule, as you look through, obviously, what the Big 12 able to be uh, able to do across the board, uh, goals, expectations is too strong of a word, but what do you want to see from your guys throughout the course of the year? Well, we want to keep progressing, you know, I think um, throughout the whole season and continue to get better. 
uh, take every match one at a time. Um, are, I think continuing to strive and, and get that doubles point to be really solidified as, as one of the strongest points on our team. Um, you know, we know we have a lot of depth. Um, and so I think finding leadership too, I think guys need to continue to step up. We kind of have a motto that everyone can lead, uh, but they got to lead in their own way. And so um, we've got a lot of leaders on this team and, and a lot of guys that are hungry and uh, a lot of guys that are hungry to prove who they are and who we are and as a team and just continuing to grow that way. But yeah, our guys are, our, our guys are extremely excited for the season and, and, you know, our, our expectation, our expectation and goals to win. So that's what we want to do. I love it. Well, then my last question for you, and I want to give every coach this opportunity because look, too often college tennis fans just haven't heard directly from you guys. They don't, you know, not just fans, but players, coaches as well. So give me the pitch. Why should I come down to Norman? Why should I be a Sooner moving forward? <laughs> I, I love it. Well, num number one, if you want to play pro tennis, you need to come. You need to come here. We're going to spend more time with you on the court individually. Uh, put you in situations where we feel like you can succeed. We're going to give you opportunities, resources wise. Oklahoma is top five school uh, in the country in resources, uh, facilities. Um, we're going to host pro events. And we've got we've got great players here. And so if you want to come and train with great players and, and lastly, I think uh, character and, and what we're trying to do with what we call OUDNA and building our culture, you know, we really want to coach guys up and be good people. And so, you know, when you combine it all together, we feel like we have the whole package um, and, you know, we're playing in a great conference now, but we're also going to play in another great conference. So, you know, I think schedule wise, we're going to be able to put you in situations where you're going to be able to succeed and and we're going to care about you as a person yeah i love it well with all that said when did, is it no longer weird to root for oklahoma versus texas for you i'm sure there was like a one-year period where you're like oh this doesn't feel right <laughs> you know it's you know it's funny you know you move to norman mm -hmm. and and you become a sooner right away you know <laughs> sure. I, I, I always have longhorns uh you know went there played on played on the team there and but but right now 100 percent ou baby I love it. Well, with that in mind, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today to chat. And uh, obviously, I appreciate your tolerance of our nonsense all of the time as well. And uh, yeah, we're super excited yeah, to have you on the show. And uh, as always, a seat will always remain open for you. Well, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to doing this again. Yeah, of course, Coach. Good luck to you and the team and be safe, be healthy heading into 2022. All right. See you later. Boomer Sooner. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.